for your great love for us, Lord. Help us to rest in that, Lord. Help us to not know that just as a phrase, but uh, in our hearts and our souls and our bones, Lord God. Help us to know your great love for us, the security that comes from that, uh, your radical uh, commitment to us, God. Um, just, I know the love that I have for my kids, Lord, and it's strong, and that's just a, that's just a glimmer, a, a reflection of your love for us, God. Help us rest in that, Jesus. Thank you for what you have for us this morning. Uh, we give you our hearts, our minds. We open ourselves up to receive from you what you have for us. Amen. Okay, go ahead and take a seat. Good to see you. Anybody have difficulty coming up with an example of a trial or a hardship or a loss or something this week? If so, awesome. You are one of the lucky ones. Um, I, I heard something about a baseball game this week. That was a little bit of a loss, apparently. I saw on my, uh, I coach uh, Matthew's soccer team, 7th and 8th grade boys, and uh, I saw on the LMIA sheet uh, our standings. I knew we weren't doing very well, but uh, we're now 0 and 5 with one draw. 0 being zero wins. A little bit of a shot, a little bit of a loss. If you're alive on earth and you're human, you're going to experience losses. You experience some, hopefully just little ones, manageable ones, but you know, life can kick you hard. Maybe you experienced some hard ones this week. Um, I hate to be the, I like to be more optimistic. I tend to be optimistic, but this week there will be some trials. There'll be some hardships. There'll be some difficult stretches uh, possibly some losses. The question is not, will they come? But when they come, how will you respond? And today, God wants to give us clarity through his word about why the trials come and how to respond well. We're in this series called Clarity. We've uh, been looking through a few, few weeks here now. Each of these messages builds on the next we started with the idea, the question, just to get basic orientation, with this question, who are you? Maybe you remember this, who are you? And we asked, do you have clarity about that? God has given us clarity that you are either in one or two groups. This is what God wants you to know. He's revealed clearly that you are either a sinner, one who's in sin, maybe blinded by sin, maybe not even aware of your, your sin, um, kind of living for uh, pursuing sin, or you are, believe it or not, a saint, a saint, a holy one, one who's been made holy, not by your good works, but by Jesus' good work for you on the cross. You're a sinner or a saint. You are dead in sins or you're alive in Christ. You are separated from God and perishing, or you are united with God and his eternal life is flowing through you. You're condemned or forgiven. You're lost or saved. God wants you to know this and have clarity about that. And if you don't this morning, please talk to me this week. Get that clarity. So we talked about who you are. Then we went on to where are you? Where are we? That was the next question. And the bad news is 
you're in that sinner category is that you are in a place called the domain of darkness. It sounds bad because it is bad. Uh, and God wants to rescue you out of that, out of the slavery of that, out of the, the darkness of that, bring you into the kingdom of God. That's why Christ came. That's why he paid that high price for us, to move you from there to his kingdom. Where are you? Where are you today? Do you know? If you're unclear, let's talk this week. So we talk about who you are, where you are, and then what time it is. What time is this that we are in? If uh, you remember that, we realize that God says we're in the last days. We're in the end of the ages. This is the time when God is active, at work, rescuing people out of the domain of darkness, out of separation from him, into relationship with him, into his kingdom. That's the work he's doing in the world. That's the time it is. It's the time of gathering into his kingdom. And if you're a child of God, if you've been redeemed, if you've been rescued, you're in the kingdom of God, if that's where you are now, then you, don't forget this, you have a role in this work. God has said, come, join me in this work of gathering people from here, bringing them here. The airlift. You are one who's been called to help make disciples of all people. You're an ambassador of Christ. Christ is making his appeal through you and me, his church, his sons and daughters. Be reconciled to God. That's what he's doing in the world. We here are a local church body. We're a team and you have a role. And we talked about that. We, we mentioned next steps for you to take. And it was awesome. Like last week, several people took clear next steps. Four people got a clear understanding of the gospel message, the message about what Jesus has done, and reconfirmed their commitment to that. Two people have committed to taking that next step and be baptized. Uh, this week, this past week, Sarah Lefko Park took the next step. Remember that last box? It was leadership. And she was, that was like the nudge, the last nudge that God needed. Uh, and she said yes to this role as team lead for women's ministry. Okay, God's at work. God's doing stuff. Now, circle this all together here. You are saved. I'm talking to those who've put their faith in Christ. You are saved. You're a child of God, united to God, secure in his kingdom, a citizen of heaven. Everything is now awesome for you, right? Yes and no. Yes and no. We're in that period. We're in that stretch of the journey. We're in the wilderness. We've been rescued from our enslavement to sin and death, our bondage in the domain of darkness. We've been rescued from that slavery by God. He's the Passover lamb. He's brought us out into the wilderness. Next stage, right? We're his people. You're his people. You're part of his kingdom, but we're in the wilderness. And there's some great things, and there's some hard things in the wilderness. Once in a while, we look back and be like, uh, I want to go back to Egypt. Some of us start to grumble in the wilderness. It gets tough. So yes, things are good. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing that happens in the wilderness can shake you from his grip. You're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, even as you walk through this wilderness, as you walk through the valley of shadow of death. 
God's Spirit is with you and in you. You're on the narrow path that leads to life, or at least you know where it is. You have a role in God's work. You have purpose. You have mission. And your future with God has been purchased and is secure. Okay, yes, there's some awesomeness to being God's people in the wilderness, and there's some difficulty. As Jesus said it, in this world, in this wilderness world that we're still in, you will have much trouble. Paul goes even farther. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. There's going to be some hard bits. You, me, we're still subject to decay, to the curse of this age that came with Genesis 3. Physically, you're going to get sick. You're going to suffer pain. You will physically die one day. You will be sinned against, betrayed, lied to, shunned, misjudged. Though you no longer belong to the world spiritually, we're still in it physically. Sin continues to bite and steal and rob. That's where we are. We're east of Eden. We're out of Egypt. We're in the wilderness. And we're not yet where? We're not there yet. We're headed there. He's going to take us there. Just like he took the Israelites. That's all a foreshadowing of the promised land to come. The new heavens and new earth. Listen to this true story. Maybe you've heard before. I hadn't. I think it's amazing. There's a guy. Here's a name for you. Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford. Christian brother who lived in the 1800s. So a little while ago. He was an outspoken Christian. And man, he was... He had this great season where he was very blessed. He's married, had five children, successful career, owned some properties in Chicago. Life was good for Horatio. And then, because he's in the wilderness, he was hit by some Job-sized trials, hardships, losses. First, he lost his four-year-old son to scarlet fever, suddenly took him. A year later, in 1871, what happened in Chicago? Oh, nice, Preston, history major. Great Chicago fire. Great because it was tremendous in size and destruction. They lost a lot of their properties. Two years later, after all that, they decided, we need a vacation. We got to get out of here. Uh, they had some friends in England. They decided to go visit them. Their plans were set. And then Horatio was delayed because of some business plans. So his wife, Anna, and four daughters, they decided to go ahead so they wouldn't miss anything that they had planned. And he was going to catch up on a later ship. The ship with Anna and the four girls is in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when another ship strikes them and their boat sinks, killing over 200 people, including... Those four daughters, age two, five, nine, and eleven. Anna survived somehow. She washed up with a few other survivors on the coast of Wales. And Horatio, back in Chicago, got this telegram. This is the actual telegram from Anna. She writes to him, saved 
alone, what shall I do? Now, if you had asked Horatio or Anna, does God love them? From what we know about them, they would have said yes. They would have said yes. When trials hit, that's the first thing that gets attacked. Does God really love me? In those horrible moments, what is the one thing, the concrete thing that you can hold on to to remind yourself that, yeah, despite all this, God loves me? What is it? What do you have? What comes to mind? Yeah. yeah. If for me, it's faith, confidence in that historical event, Jesus on the cross. When all is lost, when all gets shaken, does God love me? Jesus on the cross. It's not a theory, it's not an idea, it's an actual historical event. Something I can hold on to. When the ship sunk, God loved Horatio and Anna and their girls. Some questions. Could God have prevented those ships from colliding? Yeah. He's powerful. God loves you and has the power to prevent, to prevent your suffering. To prevent that trial that hit you this past week. To prevent that trial that's coming. God loves you and has the power to prevent your trials and hardships and losses. Now let's ask this real quick. Is God the reason those two ships collided? Did God cause them to collide? No, it doesn't seem that way. Now, sometimes God does actively bring punishment, but this does not fit the context. It does not fit this event. So why did God allow it to happen? Did you hear that word? Allow. Why did God allow it to happen? After Anna was rescued, one of the people traveling with the surviving group remembered Anna saying, God gave me four daughters. Now they've been taken away from me. Someday... Someday, I will understand. Someday, I will understand. Implied, someday I'll understand the reason. There is a reason. There must be a good reason. God loves us. He could have prevented it. He didn't. There must be a good reason. And it must be a really good reason because that was a horrible, traumatic, anguishing loss. So what good reason, this is the next question, what good reason could justify the allowance of these sufferings, these hardships, these losses? For that, we go to the Lord. Lord, give us clarity, right? Give us clarity. When we need clarity from the Lord, where do we go? We go to God, we go to his word, to his word. Let's see what God has said about this. Lord, help us understand let this be real for us this morning. Let's first turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 6. Listen to what God is saying. He says, Now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief 
in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that this faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when God, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Okay, hold on to that. We'll read a couple other passages. Job 23.10. You know what he went through. Said, when he has tested me, when God has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Fast forward, reflecting on Israel's history, being rescued, being brought into the wilderness, that wilderness testing. Psalm 66.10, for you, God, you tested us. You refined us like silver. What, is, what, are, we, what are we hearing here? What are God's purposes? Think about refinement, right? Refining fire, a refining fire. That's what it feels like. James, brother of Jesus. Imagine growing up with Jesus. James, one of Jesus' brothers, ended up as a leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, it was a very difficult place to be a Christian. And that's where they crucified Jesus. All right? And they were scattered. But James and some others stayed there and continued to serve uh, the Christians there, the church. And many Jews continued during that time when James was active there, putting their faith in Jesus, including some of the priests, some of the Sadducees. And at one point, the high priest finally got fed up with this and had James killed by being stoned to death. That was in the year 62. So James knows trials. That's my point. James knows trials. Listen to what James says. It's not theory. This is lived reality. He says, here it is, ready. Consider it. Consider it pure joy. Hold on to that. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything that's the that's the like the smallest part of the target consider it pure joy i'm more at try to tolerate and try to hold on in the trial the ultimate aim and target is to even consider it pure joy because i know god's doing something similar idea in second corinthians 4 17 paul no stranger to affliction said this light and momentary light and momentary affliction is preparing for us, for you, for me, an eternal, not momentary, but eternal weight, heaviness of glory beyond comparison. God has good reasons for allowing you to go through that trial. I know it's hard. I'm not ready to consider it pure joy. I'm not there yet. Someday, 
Maybe in a little moment of, okay, possibly I could consider it pure joy. Maybe in hindsight, if I see the whole picture and see how God used that trial in my life, then I could celebrate it and say, yeah, thank you, Lord. That was, I see the joy. I see what James means. Let's capture it. Let's fill, do the first fill in here. Listen, God allows, he allows trials in your life for a reason, to refine you, to refine you and prepare you for the age to come. We're passing through this wilderness, man. This is not our home. This is not our final destination. You're not done yet, and God is not done with you yet. He's going to keep you in that refining fire as long as necessary. Like a good goldsmith. He's not going to leave it in there longer than necessary. He's not going to pull it out sooner. He's going to let that trial finish its work. So he's doing something in you for eternity. You're being refined. I'm being refined. That's the deal. That's where we are. You can just try to, I don't want to deal with that. It's there. You're in it. Let's look at it in the face. Here's the question that I've been wrestling with this week. How Wayne, how Mike, how Jane, how Mark, how are we responding? How can I respond well so that this isn't just another trial that I'll have to go through again because it didn't do its work. I, you know, I pulled out. I bailed. I didn't respond well. Let's respond well to these trials so that they will do the work that they're intended to do. How do we respond well to trials? Let's listen to what God says. I need clarity on this. Titus 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's the good news. It has come. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When the trial hits, maybe you're in it right now, when it hits this afternoon, this week, number one, practice self-control. Number one, step one, practice self-control. Don't let yourself react sinfully to that trial. Start there. That is great progress when you get better at that. That's a victory. Self-controlled uh, with a safe mind. That helped me. With a safe mind, not just reacting emotionally, not just ah, my usual tantrum, but self-controlled with a sane mind. Let's, let's look at these. Some examples of responses that dishonor God and dishonor your new self. Sinful reactions. Rage. Banging your desk. That's a real example. Yelling. Cursing. Throwing your clipboard. Throwing a tantrum. Giving up. Bailing. Running away. Tuning out. Just, you know, social media is a great little, like, 
fake comfort zone. I don't have to deal with all this. Blaming others. Watch yourself. When the trial hits, man, I couldn't believe it. So many times that was my first reaction to blame others. Blame. Bail or blame. Rage, bail, or blame. Those are my three favorite responses that I'm sick of. I want to get out of. I'm done with those. I want to be done. These are all immature, old, fallen, sinful ways of responding to difficulties and trials. Let's throw those off. Make every effort to respond to the hardship in a way that honors God. And again, honors your new identity. You're a child of God. You're a saint. You're a holy one. You're an ambassador of Christ. I want to say, I don't do that reaction anymore. I don't do it and I won't do it anymore because I'm a child of God. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. It's a silly example, but it's an example I have. I'm coaching soccer. We had a game this Saturday. And somehow what we learn in practice is not translating in the game. Um, and I'm the coach. My, the co-coach wasn't able to be there. He usually kind of tempers me a little bit. He's got a little accountability partner. He doesn't know that, but that's what he does. And there were moments, man, of exasperation. Just, and, and there are, I have shared an example in the past where I've thrown my clipboard. But I'm growing. I'm growing. I did not throw my clipboard. I have a clipboard. I wanted to throw that clipboard. There are many things, many words, unsavory words that wanted to come out of my mouth. Just right there. But thankfully, I've been in this. I've been in this pocket don't do it, Wayne. Just don't do it. And it works. It works. It's little progress. I'm embarrassed how slow it is, but it's progress. I'm still, the rage is still there. The competitive angst is still there. But what am I going to do with it? I mean, I had my, I'm, I'm sure my body, I, you could ask Becky. I mean, I'm just like, you know, the, the, the anguish is being expressed in my body, but it didn't come out of my mouth, fortunately. So, uh, yeah, we lost that game. We're, we're in the wilderness, for sure. All right. How to respond well. Number one, don't follow the old pa sinful pattern. It's, it's hard to break those habits. You know, but you can do it. You can do it. You can grow in that. Don't give yourself the, ah, I'll never change. Uh, it's not true. It's a lie. You can change. We must change. Let's change. Let's let these trials actually have the effect they are intended to have. Pull back the reins. That's a good start. All right, let's get some more clarity. How to respond well when the trial hits. Galatians 6. Verse 7, a man reaps what he sows. He reaps, he gathers what he sows. I'm not an agriculturalist, so I needed that. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, their sinful nature, from the flesh, from their sinful nature, will reap destruction. There's consequences. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, like that new way, from the Spirit will reap, reap eternal life. 
these trials are like a choice. Which way am I going to go? I'm going to let my sin nature run and reap destruction, or am I going to hold the reins, pull back, Nope, I'm going to try this way. God, strengthen me, help me. Go this new way. And reap life. More life. Eternal life. Lasting stuff. That eternal weight of glory stuff. Sometimes the hardship, the loss, is a result of your own sin, of my own sin or failure. Let's own it. Let's be honest. Sometimes that trial is the result of our own sin. I remember, I don't know why this came to me, but back in the day when I was working in PR, uh, a senior account manager came to my desk with an article in hand, USA Today, about um, a topic that my client, Microsoft CarPoint, should have been mentioned, but was not. Because I had failed to contact this editor in a timely way, da-da-da, I messed up. There's that moment of consequence, reaping destruction. <laughs> I mean, it was my failure. So I just had to own it. I didn't want to own it. It was embarrassing. I wanted to blame my assistant. I wanted to make excuses. Um, I kind of wanted to lie a little bit, you know, temper the consequences. For some reason, I owned it that time. Sometimes, the hardship, the loss, the trial is a result of our own sin or failure. So number two, if the trial is that, result of your own sin or failure, confess, own it, acknowledge it. This is the way to respond. This is the new way. This is growth. I own it. Yep, I did that. I failed to do that. I, I did this. I should have done this. I wish I had done that. Repent. Turn away from it. Don't keep returning to that mistake, that error, that failure. And if possible, make things right. Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I blew it. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing this to help make it right now. That's responding well. Now, of course, not every trial is a result of your sin. Sometimes it's the result of the sin of others. Sometimes it's just part of being part of this age. We're in the wilderness, laboring under the curse of Genesis 3. It's not going to be with us forever. God has broken it, but we're still laboring under it. Whatever the cause, every trial is an opportunity to respond more like Christ, to grow, to let that trial grow us. When your suffering is a result of someone else's sin, negligence, etc., follow Jesus' example. He gives us an example. He lived it. God himself in the flesh lived this example. 1 Peter 2.21, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Here's the example. He, Jesus, committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Those would have been sinful reactions. Instead, he entrusted himself. Okay, here's the thing to do. He entrusted himself to him, the Father, who judges justly, who will bring justice, who will avenge. You don't have to do it. 
Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, here it is, so that we might die to sins. We might take it off, be done with it, stop going that way, and live for righteousness, live the right way. By his wounds you've been healed. Now let's walk the right way. Number three, how to respond well when the trial hits. Entrust yourself Entrust your situation. Entrust your loved one, your hurt, your desire for justice, whatever that is. Entrust yourself to God. Give it to God. Bring it to God. Don't take things into your own hands. If you're mad, you likely will not respond well. And again, remember that. I had to remember this a few times. This was helpful. God will not let you remain in the fire longer than is necessary. Let him do his work. Let him bring that to completion. Respond well to it. This idea is in Romans 8.18. I smell garlic. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings, our present trials, hardships, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Skipping ahead to verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That's you and me. We know, we believe it, we trust it, even when it's hard and it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't seem like it. We know, we, we choose to believe that God is good, he's with us, he's in us, and he's accomplishing something good through this trial. That'll Hold on to that. Hold on, it'll help you respond well to the trial. God sees, God knows. Let him bring out that something good. I've said this a few times this week in various words. God, this is hard. I want you to change the circumstances. You don't seem to be doing that right now. We can pray, we can ask, it's good. He doesn't do everything we want when we want it. I want you to change these circumstances, God but you don't see me doing that, so I am choosing to trust that you are at work doing something good in this. I can't see it. Maybe something good for me. Maybe something good for a loved one. Maybe a good that I will not see until Jesus comes back. But I'm going to trust that God is doing something good, and I will see it one day, even if it's something that hopefully results in praise and honor to God. Attention to God. Oh, God, I see what you are doing. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to go through that. Thank you for helping me respond well to that. I see the fruit now. I see the goodness. Trust that. Choose to trust that. So, back to the story. After Horatio received the telegram... From his wife, saved alone, what shall I do? He got on a ship as soon as possible to be reunited with his wife in England. 
Uh, and on the ship ride over, the captain told him when they are passing by the spot where the other ship sunk. And Spafford, on that journey, wrote part of this hymn. It's a famous hymn. It goes like this. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This song, 150 years after it was penned, is still around the world bringing praise and honor to God and helping strengthen us in those trials. So let's stand. We're going to sing it together, but first I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you. Wow, this is a tough one, Lord, but thank you, Lord, for the clarity, the revelation that you've given us. Lord, thank you that there is a purpose, there is a good reason you are allowing these trials. And Jesus, give us faith. In our unbelief, give us belief, Lord. Help us trust that you are doing something good. You are there, you are aware. And Lord, this week, help us respond better than we did last week. Help us respond in the way of righteousness instead of the old way of sin and destruction, Lord. Grow us up, Jesus, to be more like you. Prepare us for that eternal weight of glory, that new heaven and earth, the promised land. We love you, God. We know you're going to do it. Amen.